Thank you for joining us for Three Bees on the Law podcast, hosted by Trisha Barita, Camille Canali, and Susan Dawson. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. Welcome back to Three Bees on the Law. I am super, super excited because I finally convinced my partner, my business partner, Millie Palmer, to join us on the podcast. So Millie and I have been business partners together for 13 years now. Wow. Yeah, yeah right? Uh, time flies when you're partners with me, right, Millie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's fun, yeah. Millie um, heads the state planning department. So Millie, tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, so I basically answer two questions for people. What happens if I'm disabled? What happens if I die? Um, I don't have real answers like what happens when you die, but I can talk to you about how assets are structured and where they go and uh, what laws control and so I try and help people get good results based on what they want um, for their families and their lives. You know, little That's things awesome. like that. That's super awesome. Why Thanks. in particular should business owners estate plan? You know, an estate plan is basically an idea uh, or a, a roadmap of what you should do when you should do it. So who should be in charge? and what you want them to do. Where do assets go? How, how do we have access to assets? So business owners tend to have complicated lives, um, especially business owners with families involved in the business. If it's a smaller family-owned business, um, it gets really complex. If I die tomorrow, um, who gets my assets? Well, out of my kids, are there any that are attorneys? Are, you know, can the business continue or how do I favor one, not the other? Really confronting those issues, thinking about it. We might not be able to solve everything, but we can really bring value to the discussion and get them thinking about the things they need to consider. So that's, that's uh, it's interesting that we're having you on here, Millie, because actually this weekend I was over at Barnes and Noble and I was like actually over in the card like journal section and there was like this journal and it like caught my eye because it's like this huge journal and said, um, I'm dead. Now what? And I was like, what is that? And then I like, of course, I don't want to see like, what is this about? And then I realized it's this like plan your life, right? Like what happens after you die for your family? It's like this thoughtful thing that you, I guess, would buy for yourself to tell them your wishes and how that comes about. What's interesting is, of course, a lot of people may have a lot of wishes about what happens when they die, um, whether that may be how the funeral arrangements are, uh, you know, um, how people are going to handle things, what's going to happen to their children. Um, but whether that can legally occur, I'm assuming, are, are part of the discussions that you have, Millie, with your clients. And, and sometimes people seem to be not... Um, ready to confront some of those issues. So how do you, you know, help people realize that it actually is truly like this journal kind of a gift to the people that you're leaving behind to help them kind of sort through all the difficult issues that come up when someone does pass away, especially someone who has a business? 
You know, for sure, um, one of the most important things I do is is coach my clients about the types of conversations they ought to have. Um, I had a client come in who, after her mom died, and she told me one of the best things that had happened during my work was that she had heard her mother say, she had been at one or two of the many meetings we had had, but she had heard her mother say, if I'm really sick, just let me go. And she knew when the time came for her to make those hard decisions about mom's health care, she knew she was doing things for mom, not to mom. And she could hear that voice in her head. Over the years, I've talked to clients a lot about, listen, you need to have these types of conversations with these types of people so that they understand what you want done and how you want it done. It's often hard for clients. I, I don't always just see people when it's theoretical. Um, some clients come to me and they've had a really bad diagnosis and death is imminent. We, we're gonna get to our deadline and at the end of the line, someone will be dead. Um, so it's, it's not always fun and games. It's, it's real stuff that happens to real people. And we, we try hard to coach them to talk to their family members about what to do and how to do it and, and what the best things are for them. You know, it's, it's been um, an interesting journey for me to go through it. I've lost my own mother. And when the time was coming, I knew what was gonna happen and um, and yet it still was surprising, you know, and I, this is sort of day-to-day -day stuff for us at work and it's not easy stuff. It's really not easy stuff. Well, and the conversations with the people you love are not always easy because you don't want to think about life without them too. And so those conversations sometimes are difficult to initiate. I would think, well, at least I know they were in my house um, when my husband and I had those conversations because neither of us wanted to think about life without you know, the other without kids or without, you know, other relatives. And so I think you have a very difficult job. And I think probably dealing with a business owner is much more difficult. Sure. Because when you're talking with a business owner, you also have to kind of walk through if they're going to put one particular child in charge um, or one family member leading the the battle cry. And there might be really good reasons behind that. This is the person involved in the business. This is the one who's more pragmatic. This is the one who understands operations. But their siblings might not care about that and might have old hurts or, um, or other feelings of, wait, why didn't you choose me? I'm a good person just because it's a, you know, a this type of business and I have no interest in it doesn't mean I can't jump in and take care of things. And really what you're looking at is trying to help them not only make the best possible decisions, but to have a good backup plan and then kind of communicate that among family members. And somewhere along the way, there's concepts of fairness and what's, what's fair for everyone concerned and how do they get those discussions going amongst their own kids, right? And you know, you know your kids better than anyone else on the planet and you can almost predict their responses, <laughs> except you can't. So, right. you know, sometimes they're gonna surprise you and um, 
but starting those dialogues happening are it's really important work um, none of us are getting out of here alive <laughs> it's, it's a rental unit ladies we're all in a rental <laughs> right one of my um, favorite what i said can i trade my rental unit in for a new model <laughs> Oh, honey, I know I want to. <laughs> I want one that comes with a good temperature gauge that doesn't spike flashes of heat. Anyhow, Sue, what were you going to say? Well, one of, one of the favorite things, Millie has all these like great sayings that she says to her clients that really help them understand what they're going through. I'm terrible with sayings. I'm always mixing metaphors and <laughs> Screwing it up, but, but yeah, but Millie's has this great saying, and I've started adopting it even when I'm talking to my business owners. And she says, um, if you have a crystal ball and can tell me exactly the date and time and, and method of your death, I can give you the perfect estate plan, right? And the thing is that you can't, like, no one can predict. So, um, and I think people really get that too when because they want it to be perfect. They want to know, every well, what if about this? And what about that? And it's very similar to when in the business department, we're working on shareholder agreements and operating agreements. And so in our firm, Millie and I work a lot of times, we're working together where, you know, I might put together a, a shareholder agreement that's in place while the owners are working on estate plans. They might both be doing estate plans with Millie or one has a different estate planning attorney or what have you. But then when they finish that estate plan, then we have to go back and revisit the shareholder agreement because it right. was adopted. So a lot of times people don't understand that both are necessary. So, you know, Millie, you want to talk a little bit about the difference between kind of that ownership agreement, which would be more of a shareholder agreement versus what, why you also need an estate plan. Sure. So I like to think of it, Sue, as um, sort of drawing a line. And below the line is your business operations. It's the day-to-day. -day. Who has the banking authority? Who's going? What types of deals do you want to do? How are you bringing in business? What are you doing operationally in the business? And you've got to figure out who's going to control that, how that's going to happen, who's going to be authorized to do things. Above the line or at the line, you have the different shareholders. So, you know, um, the business partners that are in there together. You have things with the bank, um, the lending, right? And those are things that, that concern the value of, of what you're putting together and how what the agreement is amongst those partners on what happens when one of them becomes disabled or dies. So do you have a buy-sell? Do you have... Uh, an operating agreement. What do you have in place at the business side? Once that asset is either pays out um, because we've lost someone and their share is being purchased or bought out or there's some sort of life insurance doing the payout or continues and then the stock transfers to the next generation or the spouse or whoever, However, they've decided that would work best for them. And not every partner in the business is going to have that maybe same ideas on it, right? So that's why it's really important to kind of get that together first. So once that money or, or asset comes out, then we look at, well, where does it go amongst family members? Does it go for, to spouse for life? Well, if it's a second marriage, do you feel differently than it's a first marriage? What if you have a, a prenup, a postnup? Um, 
What are we planning on doing with that wealth transfer generationally? Well, amongst your kids or, or grandkids, are there ones that maybe shouldn't ever touch money? So the, the estate planning side focuses on amongst the family members or um, familial beneficiaries or, or charities. I mean, it could be your friend group that you're giving your assets to. What, what do you do with that? Who's in charge and who gets what when? But on the business side, we're really trying to look at the sustained operations and how that entity survives the death or disability of one or more of its members. So, I mean, the, the state planning attorney and the business succession planning attorney have to work together. They have to come together. And, you know, it's similar skill sets, but different skill sets, right? So they have to think about it together. And Sue's right, we often do this iteratively where we say, look, let's do round one and then go back to that person and then come back to me and, you know, and we're going to tweak it until we get it where we need it to be, right? So. Well, the state planning takes a long, a long time. There's so much to think about. Whereas when I'm putting together shareholder agreements and operating agreements, sometimes I can have those done in a week. You know, and you're, you might be dealing with them for months. And so a lot of times we do what we call the, I call it the Band-Aid agreement, just because what if they die while the state process, right? right? So, yeah, so we, so we have, sometimes we go um, back and forth, but there's another thing, talk a little bit, I don't know if you guys have this in your states, but we have the designated trustee where, so let's say a shareholder dies, and the, the shareholder agreement says the company is going to buy the shareholders. Most of the time, that's what happens, right? If you've got, it's not a family owned business and one, you know, one shareholder is going to buy out the other shareholder, but that doesn't happen. It's not like death occurs. And then the next day they're bought out. We've got to wait for insurance. Right. We've got to wait. In the meantime, who's doing what are we going to, is that going to be the executor or you know, so it depends on how the stock is held. If you hold the stock through a trust, it's the trustee. And, you know, we can carve that job up. We can say, look, this is the person that's going to be in charge of the business-based assets, the business trust advisor. So in Illinois, we have something called, um, uh, we have statutes that allow us to give authority to, to a particular person with regard to a particular type of assets or a single asset, et cetera, where they can, they can direct the trustee as a directing party on what to do and how to do it. And, you know, a lot of times we're doing that um, in order to get both estate um, exemptions. So, for example, husband and wife get uh, $11.7 in a federal exemption. Well, if the wife owns all the stock of company, she might need to put some in husband's trust, but she still wants to be that advisor in that trust controlling that stock, right? So that's another thing we're doing is we're looking at, are there restrictions on the stock? Is it a professional corp? And it can only be owned by someone with a license like a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or whatever. Um, so are there things like that that we're trying to get a tax advantage on the one hand, but we're not trying to blow some statutes on the other. Um, it's it's interesting work um, when you're when you're trying to figure out who's in control over the assets, over the 
the stock or the membership in the LLC. You know, and the other thing we're really looking at is um, what happens if they're disabled? And so that's a big question for me. Who's, who's authorized to make medical decisions? What types of medical decisions do we want made? Um, we want to stay out of guardianship court as much as humanly possible. Um, Britney Spears is fascinating, but, um, but let's not go there, right? Yeah, that's true. And um, that's a good point, Millie. And like also, you know, along that note, the complications that can occur with, of course, you know, the people that um, that do step in to possibly that role while everything is sort of getting sorted out, even if you have the buy-sell piece where there will be insurance proceeds and, you know, how is that? And, and one reason people would want to do this, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, is that you may not want to be in business with the, um, you know, person's family members or whoever they're getting, um, inheriting, you know, the piece of that company, if it, if it even is allowed, you know, like you were saying, whether it's a professional thing. So, um, how, how people sort that out can really make a difference as to, you know, who they're in business with when the person potentially may pass away or if they become incapacitated. So say they're involved in some car wreck, um, when they're not, if you don't provide for both of those issues and kind of think that whole thing through, then what happens to the business during that time period? And if you don't have insurance proceeds, I know Millie, you're probably going to recommend that's a, that could be a big mistake because then, <laughs> then what happens? Go ahead and explain it. Well, you know, you might want to wind up, you might wind up with a forced sale of the business. Um, they may or may not have the cash assets in order to do the buyout. So there's really a couple things that go into those operating or shareholder or buy-sell agreements. And one of the most important ones, Sue's drilled this into me, is figuring out a methodology for the value of the company. Um, you know, either a formula or um, something you agree to in advance. And then figuring out how you're going to pay for that, right? Um, so... You don't want to force the the survivor to do a fire sale of their business um, just because a a partner has has died, right? And so it can get ugly. Um, and really, to have some sort of written guidebook that has been agreed to in advance um, is really important. Um, it can make things a lot smoother. And if they do wind up in litigation, it gives us something to guide that litigation, um, to answer questions where we're not just looking at case law and statutes and our best guess, if you would, um, but we have something in writing that people, people thought about in advance. So it can limit the issues and control costs, right? Um, so that's really part of what this is for, is to to not just effectuate your wishes, but to do so in the most streamlined, cost-effective possible method out there. You know, uh, small potatoes. Yeah, uh, Millie, I, Go ahead, Trisha, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, Millie, was, you know, it's, it's um, that's exactly interesting that you say that, right? Because that everybody wants to think, you know, when of course the partner, you know, ends up in the hospital, and, and they can no longer make decisions, how long everyone's sort of going to go along with that. And of course, they've been friends forever. They've known each other. They've been in business forever. Everyone likes to think everyone is going to do the quote right thing. And sure. but 
what the right thing is and, and predicting what everyone is going through in that moment in that situation is so difficult. So this planning is so important, Millie. So I really appreciate you uh, giving your insight to our listeners for that. Thanks, Tricia. I really appreciate the time to come out here tonight and uh, talk to you gals. Um, you know, it's, it's, I'm very passionate about this. Um, I think we can really make a big difference and we can make tough situations easier. But um, thank you so much for having a little time to talk to me tonight. No, great advice, Millie, but we're, you're not done. Okay. <laughs> no. um, we have a showdown when we have a guest. And okay. so Tricia and I are in a little bit of a competition. And the losers have to, depending upon, I think Susan's going to make us wear a cheese head hat. Trisha's going to make us wear a cowboy hat. And well, I'm undecided. It's probably going to be an avocado hat for California <laughs> on one of the podcasts. So we pick a topic each week. And this week, it is one of my favorite topics, shoes. <gasps> oh, I love shoes. Without doubt. So the topic is style of shoes, and Susan, Trisha, and I have each picked our favorite type of uh, shoe, although I will say that two of us did pick the same type, and one of us had to go with our second choice. But the choices are peak toe shoes, wedge sandals, or cowboy boots. Oh, I can tell you uh, straight up, without a doubt, cowboy boots. Um, oh, I am that I am a cowboy boots. I wear them. I wear them every chance I get. Boot season is right around the corner. You can keep your pumpkin spice, whatever you want. Give me some boots, girls. So okay, that was not my pick. Trisha here from Texas. Uh, I picked, you picked the topic. I I thought, oh no, they're gonna think that we planned this. But the the one of the the joys or the benefits of being partners with Millie is we wear the si same size shoe. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so quite frequently, I'll buy a pair of shoes, and she'll be like, "Those are awesome. Leave them at the office." What are they doing this weekend? <laughs> what are the I mean, shoes doing this weekend? <laughs> she's, she's actually asked me, "Oh, remember those boots you wore? Can you bring them in?" They go with my like, but we go. We have gone cowboy boot shopping together. We both yeah. love cowboy boots. So when you picked the topic, I thought. Oh boy. <laughs> that was kind of an unfair. Uh, now I'm feeling like I, I picked an unfair question because there was no you way. You taken to advantage of. You did. You with did. Our, but, um, with our girly shoes because I actually, Trisha and I both love peep toes, but wedge sandals are definitely a close second for me. Oh, see, I like the wedge sandal and I think the peep toe would be probably my last on the, on the three. But I love shoes. Um, way too many pairs um, in that seven and a half. Sue and I really should do a shoe closet at the office where we just leave them there. <laughs> we should. That'd be awesome. Oh, well, Millie, I get to see you all the time, and I'm lucky. But I'm so glad that you got to meet my co-hosts, Camille and Trisha, and that our podcast audience gets to know my partner, the person I'm lucky to oh, run my business with. There's no one else I'd rather be with. So thanks again for joining us. And we'll catch everyone next time on 3Bs on the Law. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast of 3Bs on the Law. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast. 
We also welcome any comments. If you'd like to get in touch with us or suggest a future topic, you can email us at 3-T-H-R-E-E-B-E-S-O-N-T-H-E-L-A-W at gmail.com. And because we're lawyers, we need to remind you that this podcast is not meant to provide you with legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.